John, let's talk big deals. NBA future, Al Michaels, done at NBC, and the NFL. And Andrew, we came up with the real media angle to Shohei Otani's $700 million deal, though while more factual, it may not be as entertaining as this. This is a joke. Baseball is going to allow this? They're going to allow the Dodgers to, uh, to, to bring on Otani and allow them to defer all the money so they don't get sit there and they get murdered with the luxury tax to give them a chance to sign all these players? Why don't we just give the Dodgers every player? Give them Blake Snell. Give them the Yamamoto. Give them Otani. Give them everybody so they can win some championships. I haven't won in 100 years. Why don't we give them everybody? Is this what baseball wants? <laughs> And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. John, a lot to talk about. NBA, NFL, Al Michaels, John Morosi and the Otani deal, um, and also the media implications of it. And we also have Carp's Corner. Carp's Corner. Corner. Uh, a little bit later. But let's start up with who's up and who's down. Who's up? Who's down? John, why don't you lead us off? Andrew, who was that? Making a big return to the podcast. Big return. return. All right, I'm going to go who's up. My who's up is Adam Silver. uh, And that's because the in-season tournament, it's a thing. I'm not even going to talk about its role in the next uh, NBA media negotiations or uh, viewership. We're going to have Carp's Corner on uh, later on to talk about that. I know what it's not. It's not a championship. It's not even a conference finals. It has plenty of detractors. I was on a text exchange on Sunday morning with friends who hated it. I was the only supporter of it. Shout out to Timmy and Ricky on that. But look, it's undeniable that after just one year, it's already a tentpole event for for the league, much like the All-Star game. I, I never paid attention to November and December games in the NBA before. I did this year. Silver's biggest accomplishment is that he got the players to buy into the tournament. So it felt like playoff basketball, but we're only in December. Adam Silver has been upfront. Like there there are going to be tweaks to it. The point differential has to go. Did you you see that Celtics Bulls game? Celtics were up by like 25 and with two minutes left. And they're intentionally fouling Andre Drummond late in the fourth quarter in order to get the point differential to go. So he's acknowledged the need to uh, make tweaks. But by all reports, he's thrilled about it, uh, and we're definitely going to be seeing it again next year and almost certainly the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. John, my who's up is NBC's Noah Eagle. Uh, Al Michaels will not be doing a playoff game this year for NBC. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's Eagle at 27 years old, going to get a playoff game. He and Todd Blackledge, and then on the sideline, Catherine Tappen, their Big Ten crew, will be doing a regular season game uh, on NBC, Steelers and Bengals. And then uh, Eagle gets a playoff game that was Al Michaels last year. Uh, So at 27 years old, he's going to do a playoff game. And then the Super Bowl. He'll be on the call for the Nickelodeon game uh, with Nate Burleson, which he's done a couple of years in a row and has done real well. Uh, So Noah Eagle gets my who's up. All right, Andrew, my who's down, Roger Goodell. We all know that the NFL is king. It's been king for as long as I've been covering the media business. The NFL executives, they truly believe that the league's popularity is primarily responsible for the success of ESPN 
Fox, DirecTV, you name it. Back in the late 1990s, CBS went without the NFL and its, its executives were so scarred that they did whatever they could to make sure that didn't never happened again. Same thing with NBC in the early 2000s. So it goes without saying, the NFL is the most popular sport. It's the most popular form of entertainment that we have in the USA right now. But something interesting is happening today that's making me question whether that power is starting to get walked back. And it's because of the fight that Tegna is having with DirecTV. Tegna stations went dark on DirecTV at the end of November. 64 stations that have deals with ABC, Fox, CBS, NBC, others. Uh, we've been now through two weekends of NFL football, two weekends that included a Cowboys-Eagles game on Sunday night and included the uh, Chiefs-Bills game on Sunday afternoon that everybody was talking about the, the following day. And do you know what? DirecTV is not budging from its position. Again, I've been covering this for decades. I've never seen this. Distributors always buckle in the face of losing NFL programming. Ultimately, th this whole uh, battle, it's all about price. But if you listen to DirecTV executives, it's the availability of these NFL games on direct-to-consumer services that has swung all the leverage from the networks back to the distributors. And seeing how these negotiations are playing out, it's hard to argue any differently. I love when you say that you've been covering this for decades, like centuries. Decades. I covered it when the Egyptians put up the pyramids <laughs> and now they, there's a cable dispute on that. One of my first stories, Andrew, was with the Cable Facts Daily when DirecTV got something called NFL Sunday Ticket. It was like, oh, my God, this sounds great. 1994. I thought you going to go with my pyramid thing. All right. Oh, like ancient Egypt. My who's down is MLB Network's John Morosi for my brethren, Baseball Writer Association. It kills me to have to go after one of them. But Morosi had a tough day last Friday um, with the whole... Otani situation. He reported that Shohei Otani was on a plane headed from Los Angeles to Toronto, um, which of course made speculation that Otani was going to be a Blue Jay. Um, and then the internet went crazy. The problem, and we'll talk about this a little bit um, more in depth in uh, you know during the topics. But the issue with Morosi's report is that if you have that information now. Obviously, it turned out to be wrong, so that's awful. But if you have that information, it's better to have it and then try to find out the context of what's going on than just to report that there's a plane flying from one place to another, uh, even if you were correct about that. Because without the context, we don't know what that means. He could have been, if it were true, he could have been going just for another meeting to see if he really likes Toronto. There's a lot of things that it could uh, be. Uh, we found that with, especially with college football coaching searches that people, you know, look for private planes, which, you know, again, that's the internet, you know, being reporters, it's different than actual reporters. Um, and Morosi has been an insider for a long time now uh, to make that mistake. And now the whole world is like, you know, baseball writers are wrong. I'm Bob Nightingale from USA Today wrote a column just ripping his brethren. I didn't really understand. I mean, if that's all Bob, you know, feels fine. But, you know, there's a lot of great reporters. And I would point out to people who are all over baseball writers, most of the baseball writers didn't report that. 
And there's a lot of pressure on you when someone's reporting something, especially about maybe the greatest free agent of all time. And there's a little nugget out there for people to hear from editors. And what do we know about this? And where is this? And you're trying to figure it out. And, you know, the biggest rule you have to, you just can report what you know. Even if somebody happens to seem like they know something else. Uh, in many cases, when there's only one person in this type of situation, that's kind of not the limb you want to be on. And in this case, it broke on Morosi. Yeah, I have a definite thoughts about that, Andrew. Let's uh, make that a topic. It is a topic that we're going to discuss later on. I want to talk about your column that you had in New York Post Sports Plus newsletter that come, comes out reliably every Monday morning about the NBA and um, where you stand right now in terms of their negotiations. The, the deal's not going to come until uh, well into uh, the, the new year, but it is always helpful to see what we're hearing and and sort of how these uh, networks are jockeying for position. Right. These are just projections that I did. So not, you know, obviously I talked to a lot of people, but the biggest takeaway for, I did this first in March. So this is um, kind of like you have your mock drafts 2.0. This is my sports media projections 2.0. And the biggest takeaway is more than three partners um, is the feeling that I'm getting. If, the NBA wants to reach the numbers that they have said. You know, there's been their reports a couple of years ago about tripling uh, what they're getting right now. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, maybe they double it. But to do that, um, do they need four partners? So, look, I think there is a assumption. Let me just tell me if you agree with this, that uh, ESPN and as well as Warner Brothers Discovery, they want back in, but they will take a little bit less of regular season games uh, for ESPN. No Wednesday, uh, possibly for Turner, TNT. No Thursday, move just to Tuesday. Uh, that seems like a possibility, and then still have the playoffs uh, and then the finals for ABC. Do you agree with that? Then they would give it, there would be an increase, but just maybe not as much as if, as if you uh, kept everything. The worst part about your column that you wrote is that I didn't disagree with really anything that, that went in there. So, uh, okay, all right. Well, good. So then you be quiet for the next 10, five minutes. I'll just talk. No. Well, here's the one thing that, so um, these are projections. Amazon on Thursdays um, after NFL. And then as Jay Marine said, if you go back a couple of podcasts ago, uh, they want something significant in terms of playoffs or something similar to playoffs. Is that in-season tournament? I don't know. But um, they want something significant in terms of, you know, uh, spectacle events. That one, the favorites, not definite, but the favorites. Um, I do think that there's a nice relationship between the NBA and Amazon. Let me uh, open up here. Like, it's more than the favorites. Those three are heavy favorites and uh, to, to, to get uh, some, some packages of NBA programming. What those packages will look like, uh, we don't know yet. Uh, I find it... Uh, Right now, in December 2023, it's almost unthinkable to think that ABC won't have the NBA Finals or ESPN won't have part of the, the NBA Finals or the conference championship games. How they divvy that up is, is you know, what we're going to be really taking a look at. And that fourth package and who steps in for that fourth package, that's where the, the, the real jockeying is going to occur. Yeah, like I'm not saying it's definite. Again, projections, not reporting, not fully like saying this is happening. Obviously, there's a difference, all right? There's a little bit of um, opinion here. Uh, but here's the thing about it. I do think that the NBA would like NBC involved. I think Adam Silver and the chairman of NBC Universal, Mark Lazarus, go back a long time to the Turner days. There's a lot of relationships there between the NBA and NBC. I think there's a nostalgic play, and I think they want broadcast. So how do they get on NBC? Well, you know, there could be a Peacock component, of course. Of but, course there will be, yeah. But 
the NBA wants the broadcast. And if you're going to put stuff on broadcast, if you're NBC, you're saying we need a finals. So in that projection, I have the final alternating uh, yearly from ABC to NBC. To me, that's a way to get the money up and to give something that's very substantial. And I could make an argument it might be better for the NBA to spread out the finals. It'd definitely be better for me and you, well, especially me because I love writing about the broadcasters because then there's more movement because now there's only one finals right now team. And so as opposed to the NFL where you have the Super Bowl and there's many championship teams. That's my projection right now. I've been, uh, over the past several months, uh, very lukewarm about NBC's involvement in, with this. Uh, I always consider Brian Roberts, you know, the head of Comcast that owns NBC. His reputation is that he always bids just enough not to get, you know, uh, whatever property uh, is out there. And uh, uh, I've been told reliably by uh, by insiders that NBC is very serious about the NBA. And uh, and your scenario there is, is one that uh, that does check out whether whether or not they pay enough for the finals. I'm not sure. But uh, they do want a significant package. But I don't think they're going to go crazy for it, right? That's that we've been talking about this. They You've been doing this drum yeah. for a while, right? That these media companies, the time that the NBA is coming up, it's not great. They're the NBA, so they should be okay. But they're going to have to be creative. And it's not the perfect timing uh, in terms of what companies are doing overall. They're not, I don't think there's anybody out there who's just going to write some like crazy check Fox in early 90s, or even if you look at the Amazon deal, which I think is a good one. I mean, obviously, we don't see the back books, but the Amazon deal for Thursday nights to get in, they had to give the NFL a billion dollars when, you know, nobody else was probably going to come close to that. But you're not in position when you're trying to get in uh, to something like the NFL. There's an entry fee. I mean, the NFL has that power, as you said, in your uh, who's down. You know, they feel like they're responsible for everything except for world peace. And I mean, if they could <laughs> actually if they could work on that, uh, Roger Goodell and company, I'd be uh, appreciative. I think everyone would be. When you look at uh, Apple and Netflix, though, you know, I know you reported Netflix had some interest in the in-season tournament. I, you know, then they're harder to read because they're new into the stuff. But I'm not sure they're as aggressive right now. Netflix uh, had er very early talks uh, and, and the talks were around the in-season tournament and the talks were around developing a behind the scenes docu-series around the tournament and, and get everything um, uh, going that way. I'm told those talks of uh, that they were at the highest levels. They've stalled a little bit. I would be surprised if Netflix came in on, on this round. The big uh, question mark is, is Apple. Here's the whole deal with the NBA is, is that they're entering uh, a, a marketplace where the established media companies, as you said, are not paying big money. They, 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 they're constrained. They're constrained by big NFL deals that they have. They're constrained by uh, cord cutting, which is cutting the distribution uh, revenue that's, that's coming in. And they're just constrained by financial upheaval that's going on. What do you call it? The, 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 the home run hit or the, 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 the dream is that somebody is going to come with big pockets, maybe a $3 trillion company based up in uh, Washington State or based in, uh, in, in California that will pay for it. But what we have found out is that these digital companies, Apple, Amazon, even Google, uh, Google YouTube, they've been more, more disciplined than I ever could have imagined in terms of these, uh, these, these rights negotiations. So it, it would be really surprising if any one of them stepped up with that sort of a, a bid that we were talking about. Well, and here, here's the thing about it. They don't think of themselves as like um, some like newcomer. 
right? Who who who's not like this, like, oh, we're trying to get involved, right? Like Fox in the early 90s with Rupert Murdoch, uh, they were trying to establish a network and they were going to do it on the backs of the NFL. The Apple, Amazon, Google, uh, Netflix, they're not trying to establish anything. They're already established. So they don't think like we should do a discount. They feel like they are just as viable, if not more viable than the networks. And so, you know, that's kind of a little bit of probably of a disconnect when you go forward with that. Andrew, let's get to topic two. Uh, we want to talk about the NFL flex scheduling again. Um, once again, like moving forward, ESPN losing Patrick Mahomes playing against the the, the Patriots uh, for, for the Eagles and the, the Seahawks. Every single week, that's looking like a, a worse deal for ESPN, even if the Eagles-Seahawks game has a little bit more playoff implications. Yeah, that's the first flex. You know, we go back to what we talked about it last week. Uh, Fox allowed that to happen um, by letting the uh, Seattle versus uh, Philadelphia game go to Monday Night Football. Uh, the way Fox looked at it, they got Kansas City and New England that they can move to one o'clock to 60 percent of the country. Um, that Philadelphia Seattle game was going to get lost a little bit because Dallas plays Buffalo, which is the game of the week at 425 America's game of the week. Like so many games of the week, but Sunday <laughs> night football, a football night this, in America. This Andrew is the pod of the week. This is does, the does pod CBS called something. What does CBS call it? I just like just just put it out there. They that's call it the, C- the CBS game of the week. That's it. Yeah, that's that's enough. Yeah. I'm I'm fine with that. We got to make it something. I got you know NBC started that with the uh, uh, what they do with Sunday night, and then uh, Fox uh, I think count you know went back at them with uh, America's game of the week. I think we should ask Austin uh, Carp to, to to weigh on this later. But um, when you look at it, would you rather have uh, Chiefs off of the Mahomes bad loss? Um, in New England, New England with a big win over the Steelers, uh, or would you rather have this uh, Philadelphia team going up to Seattle? Seattle's on a three-game losing streak now, suddenly six and seven. If I'm a TV executive, I want Patrick Mahomes playing in a, in a game that, that that matters. But I also want to go real back, uh, quickly back at Fox. Uh, Fox gave its blessing. That was the protected game that Fox had. But the, these are all moves that are dictated by by the league. The league is who decides what gets flexed into the primetime games and not. ESPN can uh, send out a wish list and say, we hope to get get, get this game. But ultimately, it, it has to come from the league level. I have exclusive audio that I've obtained of NFL uh, league negotiations with their partners every week. If you could be the partner, I just need you to say, okay, uh, we want to do this. Oh, absolutely. No problem. All right. That's our exclusive uh, audio that we've obtained from the NFL when they talk to the networks and uh, how even though the networks pay them billions of dollars, that's how they go. No problemo. All right. Let's uh, let's go, Andrew, to topic three. It's a story that you broke this week about Al Michaels is not doing a playoff game for NBC. He appeared to be expecting to do a playoff game for NBC. And the question that I have I've been a big defender of of Al Michaels. I I think he still has the voice. I always defer back to like the big game voices, uh, and and he still has that for me. Why did NBC make this decision? Well, two things. Number one, that shouldn't be, that should be understood is like NBC. Like he he knew this. Like I didn't just tell him this. Right in November, I called him. I wrote a column where um you know I talked with Al and I said that you know I felt like the best course of action for him to get in front of everything um, would be to maybe uh, to announce that he's going to do this year and then the next rest of next year. So nice retirement tour for the guy who is probably the best 
uh, TV NFL play-by-player of all time. Um, you know, he he didn't necessarily want to do that. When I talked to him, I'd already heard that he might not be doing the NBC playoff game. You'll remember last year, uh, I got widely panned. He and Tony Dungy doing the Jaguars. Great comeback for lack of enthusiasm. Al's, you know, comeback to that was like, you know, people on social media didn't know. Look, I agree social media is terrible and people are pretty much stupid for largely. There's some smart people out there, but there's a lot of ganging up and just utter stupidity out there. That said, uh, I don't think it was without merit. I think there are times that we see him on Amazon hasn't been as good. I think what's lost in all this is that at the end with NBC, it, there wasn't there wasn't good there weren't good relations. I mean, they had promised Tariko the job. Tariko had patiently waited for the job, and Al kept trying to keep the job um, for a long time. And so uh, they gave him the uh, Emirates title. Um, but they never really were able to explain what that meant. Um, right. They did that with, you know, Bob Costas and Tom Brokaw, who were, you know, kind of more, I think, associated with NBC. They kind of would be able to explain how they were going to be used with Al. It was like, all right, well, they, they're still paying them apparently. Uh, but what is he going to do? He did the one playoff game this year. He's not doing the playoff game. So, um, so when I talked to him in November, I brought it up, you know, I told him, yeah, I heard it was in limbo, but the reason I hadn't reported it till now is because with Al, He's a fighter and he's strong and he uh, will pull as many levers as he can to try to change things up. So I didn't want to write something that wasn't definitive until it was. And Greg Hughes, their VP um, at NBC Sports, he um, confirmed it to me uh, the other day. And so uh, so I went forward with it, called out, did not hear back. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's the reasoning behind it. Hughes with a pod shout out. That's a, yeah. that's impressive. If you're NBC, though, like, why did you make that decision? Well, two things. I think there's like a feeling that, uh, you know, that I've heard is, you know, some people are in kind of like what you're saying. It's like Al should just decide when he wants to go. But the thing is, if you keep staying and you don't leave, then eventually they do kind of tell you it's time to go. So it's like one of those catch 22s. You'll notice like during the Super Bowl, right, that was his probably his final Super Bowl. He's done 11 along with Pat Summerall most ever. Uh, there was not a lot of hubbubu about that from uh nbc or al there was like 45 seconds where they sort of acknowledged it which kind of shows you that the tensions were not great that this wasn't like a mutual decision let's all go out together and this isn't unusual like al's always said like basically all the legends say like i'll be the first one to know um when it's time to go uh you know al still can do it like he can still do it like i'm not as big a fan as some others of like him like ripping on the games and he hasn't done it as much this year um because I just think we're all choosing to watch the games. And so uh, I don't think that's necessarily the job. Sometimes you could say a little something, but I think it gets uh, a little overboard or did last year. Um, And it shouldn't be like, you know, they're paying them, you know, a lot, a lot of money, like maybe not a million dollars a game, but huge, huge money. And so the idea that there's a thing that, uh, is this game good enough? There's Amazon Thursday night for Al Michaels. He is Al Michaels, but that should not be a thing. Not for not for that kind of payday. Um, you know, it should be enhanced. He should be enhancing it and building it up. And I get it. He says, I'm not trying to sell 20 year old Mazdas, but the games aren't beneath you. Like, it's not like every week, every broadcaster gets to look at the game schedule and be like, is that good enough for me? Um, and even if you're Al Michaels, I don't think that should be the case. Um, and so I don't know. I, I don't know if NBC necessarily owed Al Michaels anything at this point. Um, because, you know, they're allowed to make a decision of who they want to do the game. And last year, it wasn't 
again, I think Al's, you know, probably the best of all time doing it. Last year, that game wasn't up to Al Michaels' standards, in my opinion. He might not. He hasn't agreed. He's been on many a podcast and many an interview and said, you know, it's he did it fine. He does it this way. But the job also when you have a partner is not to just be like, well, this is how I do the games and the partner has to adjust. So if you're with Tony Dungy, who's low energy, um, then you have to be higher energy as the play-by-play. You're the guy who needs to make it work, not the analyst, uh, generally speaking. So, and even with Herbstreit, I think like they're two both, like Herbstreit's not a high energy analyst. He he would be better off with maybe a little bit more high energy uh, from a play-by-player. Um, and so I think that yin and yang sometimes gets lost. So, uh, so I think that's when you add it all up. That's what that's where it comes out. Andrew, I want to go to the next topic. Uh, your who's down, John Morosi, and I have I have a, sort of two comments I wanted to make on it. One is I feel bad for for him. He he did come out and he corrected himself, maybe a little bit too late, but uh, you know he he made a mistake. He corrected it. You know, the, you know, let's move let's move on to a certain extent. But then the other side of the coin is like we've been around social media for long enough. That I would that I would have expected him to know better. I recall in the early days of Twitter, I was talking to somebody who told me that uh, I, I forget what player, but an NBA player was going to be suspended in a in a uh, the NBA had already told him that he was going to be suspended in a playoff series. Uh, I was like, why, why hasn't that been reported yet? And they go, well, he's in the plane. They're going to wait for the plane to, to land, and then they're going to announce it. So I went on Twitter and I put it out there. I didn't do what I would have done had I been pub- publishing that in Sports Business Journal. And when that started getting picked up and it got picked up as Sports Business Journal is reporting. And I was like, oh boy, I did not report this. Thank God that ended up uh, playing out and being true. But there was there was a, a period of about like an hour and a half where I was like, I didn't report. I didn't do nearly what I should have done to put that out. That wasn't nearly a, good enough to go into our publication. But I felt like, you know, Twitter at the time, I was talking to my friends, you know, and- yeah. uh, uh, and so it's it, it's a different. So that when you go out with something like that on Twitter, you have to report that out. Like it, it, it it's it, we should know about this in uh, in 2023. Look, none of us are perfect, right? When you cover the oh, media, you're, you're you're perfect, Andrew. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Very nice of you to say. But none of us are perfect, so we all can make mistakes. Um, the one thing I would say, and Joel Sherman, our outstanding baseball columnist at the Post, who's also on MLB Network. Um, and has a podcast with John Heyman uh, for the post. Uh, you know, he told me this like when I was a young reporter, he's a, you know, just a little bit older than me, but he, you know, he said to me, you know, all you have is your reputation and you can only report what you know. Um, and that's always stuck with me uh, because, and especially when these stories like this, like when you want really badly, the more badly you want it or the faster everything is going, the more times you need to say, like, I need to take a deep breath and make sure I got this right. Because the second you start rushing is when you mess up. Because what's going on in the social media age is like reporting supposed to take two seconds. And sometimes it does. Sometimes you can do things very fast. But a lot of times you don't, especially if you want multiple sources, which you should, um, unless you have like a really a primary source, right? You want multiple sources or you want to be able to check with places that it's correct. The, The big thing is, and I said it at the, you know, who's down thing, is that he didn't have the context of it. And so when you start going so fast or you want a story to be true and you don't fully have it, especially something that's going to get so much attention like the Otani story, um, you hurt your reputation. And, you know, John Morosi hurt his reputation. I mean, this is going to stick with him uh, for his career. He's been on the air, likable, nice, good guy. 
Um, but you know, it was a mistake because also what was he reporting? Like he would have been, see, this is the thing about it. this is very inside, but I think it's worth it is that he would have been better off waiting and trying to figure out what it meant. You know, if he had said something like, and I'm not a big, huge fan of like saying who's the favor, or who's in the lead, especially about signings in baseball, because what does it mean unless you actually put your, uh, you actually agree, right? If you say somebody's a favorite to sign somebody. That said, if he had said something like Blue Jays appear to be have momentum uh, towards Otani, again, wouldn't have been great, might have been bad, but it wasn't as, uh, you know, there's something he could have done or at least try to find out more. Um, and he didn't do that. And so that, that's where he put himself at risk. And it really, he ended up apologizing, which again, I used to give people a lot of credit when they apologize, which I do give them credit. But then like, I feel like there's been like a um, over index on like, oh, we apologized on everything. Or like an announcer says something wrong. And they're like, oh, I made a mistake. And now we're like, oh my God, that's the greatest thing ever. And it's like, okay. I mean, yes, I used to say that, but now I feel like it's over, over, you know, emphasize that like we're giving too much credit for saying you made a mistake. I saw people like kind of claim and even Nightingale's column, I think Don Van Nata from ESPN was ripping on baseball writers as if like they're all just like beholden to agents and executives. Like, no, that's not how reporting works. And it's disappointing to think that that's how like sometimes um, people who I respect, both of those guys, that they think that's how like reporting from baseball writers work. Yes. Do baseball writers have relationships with agents? Are there some that do appear maybe not as you know good as others? Yeah, that might be true. But the way you break stories is you hear things. And that's from talking from a lo lar large array of people. And then you have the ability to go to the right people and say, is this true? And that's how you break stories. And that's true for whatever you cover. So the idea that baseball writers are just sitting around waiting for like crumbs from every executive is- For the phone to ring. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we're not just like, I, I just, like, again, there's people in the business who you hear this from, who just like kind of assume how reporting's done. And that's- disappointing um but i just think like that's not again i'm not saying like there are people who do their job poorly and and that's how they do it but not overall i don't think that's how it's done well you know the uh, it, it was just a tweet it was only a tweet but i do know like like at least one of the wire services sent a bunch of reporters to the toronto airport mm -hmm. like it was a tweet that created like it was more than just pe people getting bad information. It actually created this frenzy uh, in uh, in Toronto about about you know, trying to be there when the uh, when the plane landed. A hundred percent. All right, well, Carp's Corner in a minute. I want to talk about the Otani deal and its uh, relation to the media. Your newsletter that comes out on Mondays in the Sports Business Journal. You had a very very interesting and enlightening uh, story about. Uh, the Dodgers agreement with charter and how it works um, and how it impacts the Otani deal. And I think it's, I think it's very important. So not as good as, not as entertaining. I have to say as Chris Russo at the top, um, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> calling things a joke, but that makes Russo Russo. And this makes Orant Orant. So what can you tell us? I'm going to try to channel my inner Russo. Can you believe what happened, Andrew? I've been writing about the, uh, and, and we've been talking about the problems in the RSN market for how long now? And and the whole knock-on effect of media money is is at best going to be even, most likely it's going to be taking a step back and that's going to affect player salaries. That's going to affect, uh, you know, p potentially like valuations of, of some of the teams uh, that, that are in the leagues until they figure out how to recreate all the money that came from, from the cable bundle. And then all of a sudden we end up with that Otani deal. And it's like, that goes 
that flies completely in the face of what we've been talking about. Like, how on earth can they afford to to for, you know for the next ten years to pay you know seventy million dollars a year for 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 Otani? Sports Time Ohio, the Dodgers own the, the network, but they're in business with Charter, and the deal terms that were negotiated by Guggenheim, Guggenheim, I, I want to get Guggenheim to negotiate for me, mandates that that Charter has to pay $334 million per year. That's the average going into the, I think, 2038, the late 2030s. They have to pay that regardless of whether they have, you know, millions of subscribers or if the number of subscribers falls down to two. Like they're on the hook for that. So all, everything that's happening with cord cutting and the loss of revenues that that uh, all, all the networks are, are facing, that's hitting Sportsnet Ohio. They're they're getting less revenue in, but it's not going to hit the team at all. And I've been told by people in that market that the money coming into the Dodgers, if the subscriber number does go down to two, like they don't care. They're going to keep uh, reaping that money in. So the the the, uh, the Dodgers are inoculated from it. And the other aspect of it, I'm already worried about Adley Rushman's next contract negotiations or Gunnar Henderson's, you know, in Baltimore. There has been a divide between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, the $334 million for the Dodgers, of course, are going to have more money to spend. You look at the Yankees and the yes and the money they get off the Yes Network, and, you know, that that helps. The Red Sox and Nesson. You, you've already had the haves, the big market haves, and the small market have-nots. Well, now... You know, in I, in that story that 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 you referenced, I drew a comparison to San Diego, which was a free spending San Diego. Well, they lo- they lost their uh, media deal with Bally Sports. Bally Sports, the the the, the local RSN, declared bankruptcy in San Diego. Uh, the Padres were getting sixty five million dollars a year, a lot less than three thirty four, but sixty five million. It went down uh, by about ten percent when MLB took over. Like it's going to be close to zero now, unless they until they end up doing a new, a new deal with whoever uh, steps in there. So the difference between the haves and the have-nots is only growing in baseball, and that's potentially a really big problem. All right, two things. Number one, the other really good point that I thought you had uh, in your newsletter was that you know people are, might be thinking, well, they'll just file for bankruptcy like Sinclair and Diamond Sports, and they're getting out of all these deals. No. As you mentioned, Charter is whatever you said, how many billion-dollar company? Charter market cap of $55 billion with a B. Yeah. So they're not going into bankruptcy. So that's number one. Number two, I, I let's bring in Chris Russo. Chris, who had better points, you or John Orand? Our good buddy there, John Arad. Is- All right. He says, <laughs> John Thank you, Chris. Arand. Thank you, my good friend, Chris Russo. <laughs> John Arand. John, now it's one of our favorite segments of the pod. Corpse Quarter! Corpse Quarter! Good to be back, fellas. Yeah, Austin Carps, Worst Business Journal, Ratings Guru. Austin, let's start in-season tournament uh, for the NBA. What's your impression of the in-season tournament? Well, I'm impressed with the first season. You know, Let's start with the numbers around the championship game. You, you had Lakers, Pacers, that was ABC and ESPN2. You had a Kevin Hart-led alternate telecast, which you know contributed to, you know, around 9-10% of the audience. 4.6 million viewers for that game. So what does that mean? Okay, That is essentially what ESPN got for the clinching Grizzlies-Lakers first-round playoff game last year. I was on ESPN, obviously an ABC game. It's a tough comp, but I think that's really impressive. It's a playoff-type 
number. It is probably middle of the road. And if you're considering like a Christmas Day audience, especially for ABC, the ABC Christmas Day games generally draw a higher number. But for this, the first time, I think it's a really impressive number given what they wanted to achieve, which was people tuning in at a much higher level than a normal regular season game. Looking at the NBA in-season tournament overall, I think it was a decent package. I think it was an incredibly good start the first year, especially for the numbers ESPN on Friday. Those games outdrew what ESPN was getting in those same November windows last year. Same for TNT for their Tuesday night games. It just drove up a little more interest, especially when you're going up against football, college, pro, and football is still top of people's mind. I think it was good for the NBA to just raise awareness of their game at the start of the season and the NBA in-season tournament. The numbers show that they did that. What about these numbers surprised you? I think that it none of them were able to really achieve what opening night was able to get. It wasn't that strong of a level. It was not until the championship game that they draw like a really strong number. Like, okay, this really had some pop to it. But that championship game, um, I wouldn't say it surprised me, but it was a good number. Yeah, Lakers obviously helps. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move to the NFL. We're coming to the stretch drive of the regular season. Your biggest impression thus far of this NFL season TV ratings-wise? I think it's really strong what CBS has been able to do, especially with the new rules, which everyone traditionally thought of CBS, especially that 425 window. You're only going to get AFC teams. With the way that NFL scheduling has gone in the last few years, you're getting the best matchup that they can possibly provide in that window. And sometimes it's going to be NFC teams. And what you're seeing is CBS is actually having a little bit of an edge for that their national window versus even what Fox has been able to get. Now, Fox has been winning that 425 p.m. Eastern Sunday window for years now. And you, you always heard at the end of the season, Fox, oh, we had the best window. And you know they'll be arguing with NBC, which says we had the best package. But CBS is now coming and say, hey, like, you know, we have the better number for that 425 window. And that's one of the effects you're seeing from the league top down give better games, put the best games in the best windows. Well, also the, the, the main reason that the NFC outrates the AFC has nothing to do with the teams, but it's the markets the NFC is in. Uh, and so that's why mm -hmm. Fox is always in the driving position here. And now that you have cross flexing, you don't have really a traditional NFC versus AFC, uh, you know, game that, that has to be a reason why, uh, C CBS is doing as well as it is this season. Yeah. I mean, if you can, you can get some of those NFC markets in there, that's huge. Like you said, a lot of the population, most of the football viewing population is going to live east of the Mississippi and along the coast there. But I would say a lot of this stuff in recent years, in the last 10, 15 years, was also very quarterback driven. And you used to have a lot of that on the AFC side. I remember us making a huge deal back in 2007 when you had undefeated Tom Brady going up against undefeated Peyton Manning in the Colts. Like a lot of those, a lot of that good quarterback play had gotten away from the AFC in the last couple of years. You thought coming into this year, you would have a lot of good matchups, whether it was Justin Herbert and Burrow and Rodgers with the Jets and with, with so many injuries. Like I think CBS is really happy to have that cross flex and get some NFC teams in there. Wait a second. You mentioned Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Justin Herbert. Austin. Same, same conversation. I got quarterbacks all day for you, John. <laughs> I got last one off the board a little bit. If you're Monday Night Football, would you rather have Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City versus New England or Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts versus Seattle this upcoming Monday? Right now, I'd rather have the Chiefs. I think Jalen Hurts and the Eagles have really done themselves a ratings disservice, never, never mind the, the disservice for their record uh, with their performance over the last couple of weeks.
Yeah, all that matters is the ratings. I'd go Chiefs. I want Chiefs there. <laughs> uh, final one for I only me, want the number. Uh, I only want the best viewership. Exactly. That's all you care. We used to be in you're in the press box, like, oh, you're rooting for the Yankees, you're rooting for this team, you're for the Orioles, whatever. They always say it to beat writers. You're only rooting for a good game. Austin Carb only roots for the TV ratings. He's sitting there. And <laughs> I like, like the Yankees and the Red Sox. They're both just really good teams, and I hope everyone does well. We are, we're rooting for the storyline. Austin's rooting for the numbers. <laughs> Austin, last one for me. Uh, Amazon numbers, they're up double digits every single game. Why is that? What do you make of that? Uh, I think the lineup of games is a little better this year. I think that the discoverability factor is improving in year two. That's any network's problem or issue is they had year, run, year one. All right, people are starting to figure out this is where you're going to go. And newer networks, whenever there's a switch, we always would talk about it years past when something moved from broadcast to cable and cable is really getting marquee events like the college football playoff and, and more NBA playoff games. And now we're seeing it with football. People are it's not hard to get to Amazon Prime. So the rise doesn't really it doesn't surprise me as much. People know where Amazon is. They know how to get on. If you go, if you've been to Amazon for any of these games, you know it's very easy, right top there to click on the game. So it's not hard, and it's not surprising to me that you're seeing an uptick there for Thursday night football. So a prediction for 2024, another potential double-digit jump for for Amazon. It sounds like as as that content the discoverability continues. To take if I had to guess, I'd put it more in the seven to nine percent next year. That's what they do long term. Um, you know, John wants them to have the Super Bowl the first year and to have ratings that are like a hundred million Three trillion dollar company, three trillion dollars. In other words, but they look at it long term. You should read a book <laughs> about Amazon. They look at it long term. Anyway, Austin Carp, Corpse Corner. Corpse Corner. Thanks for having me, Thanks, guys. Man. Yeah, Austin, very good. Carp's Corner. John, another successful podcast. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. Uh, AC Wyatt, producer, puts it all together. Master of the board, Chris Mason, with all the drops. And uh, always stay around for bloopers after. Those are always fun uh, and uh, enjoyable. If you could like it, uh, review it, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I see Chris. I see AC. I don't see Hollywood Orient. Where is he? We're all here on time. Hollywood's nowhere to be found. Or three minutes early too. So three minutes early, but Coughlin time. When we had Eli Manning on, when 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 did he show up? He was like ten minutes early. I can't. I I shouldn't say who you're usually waiting for. So I I shouldn't say. But all I know is today, I'm here. Hollywood or and nowhere to be found. Sorry, someone threw me off with a DM or text that came across. And so when you go from there, you don't have the. Wait, sorry, yeah, I lost my thought. Um, it must have been a good text. I can't get over Austin's like new hairstyle. You, you look like an Eastern European NBA basketball player right now. Austin, can you hear us? I don't think he can hear us.